This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, an open access online community of healthcare professionals sharing best practices from around the world. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Pediatric Behavioral Mental Health, Outpatient Behavior Management Counseling by Daniel O'Meara, Beverly Ayanur, Brenna Chase, and Caitlin Blackburn. Outpatient Behavior Management Counseling. If you're viewing this video, you may have just had an encounter where patient's caretakers have asked you what to do to help calm their child when they have out-of-control behaviors at home or in the community, such as tantrums, aggression, or defiant behaviors. By the end of this video, you should be able to describe common challenging behaviors that may be encountered at various stages of childhood and adolescence. Create a safe space for children, adolescents, and their caretakers to share their thoughts and concerns regarding challenging behaviors that occur at home or in the community. Describe a framework for why behavioral dysregulation occurs and a model for how it can be approached. And lastly, incorporate de-escalation and behavior modification strategies into routine well-child visits for teaching parents these skills. What are common challenging behaviors that may be encountered during childhood? Let's describe them by stage of development. In childhood, some of these behaviors may include tantrums, impulsive behaviors, lying, aggression, and defiance. In adolescence, some of these behaviors may include delinquency, bullying, disruptive behavior at school, aggressive or violent behaviors, substance use, and school absenteeism. Some of these behaviors may be manifestations of underlying issues and warrant further investigation, such as disruptive school behavior as a sign of ADHD and school absenteeism as a sign of difficulties in the home. Challenging behaviors that are encountered in childhood or adolescence sometimes have the risk of resulting in significant personal, social, academic, or legal consequences. They can also be a source of a lot of distress for family and friends. When discussing these behaviors with caretakers, remember that this may be a distressful topic as they reflect on their individual experiences. They may feel helpless that their child may be carrying out such behaviors. It is important that you as a provider create a safe space for caretakers to share their thoughts and concerns. We are going to now discuss one model for creating a safe space for patient families to share about a child's behavior. First, start with permission. Ask the caretaker if they would be all right with sharing more information about the concerning behavior and also sharing with you about how they're feeling in regards to the behavior. Allow for moments of silence. Secondly, focus your attention on what the caretaker is expressing to you. Pause note-taking and look at them as they speak. Encourage them and remind them their child's behavior is not a reflection of their parenting. Remind them that you, as their child's provider, will partner with them in finding resolutions. Lastly, thank them for taking the time to bring their concerns to your attention. These steps are important in ensuring that caretakers view you as allies along the journey to helping their child grow into their full potential. During these discussions, it is important to uphold a non-judgmental attitude as caretakers oftentimes feel stigmatized by some of these behaviors, especially when they occur in public settings. When treating adolescents, it is important to invite the adolescent to share their perspectives. 
adolescents may choose to respond to their caretaker's concerns automatically, and sometimes they may only share their perspectives upon prompting. Occasionally, only upon building rapport and creating a safe space during a confidential social history with the parent outside of the exam room will the young person feel comfortable enough sharing their perspectives, so it is important to speak to adolescents privately at each visit. Conversations with young people and their caretakers may uncover challenging situations at home or school, mood disorder symptoms, or traumas that the young person has endured which may be serving as antecedents to the concerning behaviors. When eliciting behavior frequency and intensity, continuing a non-judgmental approach allows for collaboration in pinpointing certain areas to focus on for next steps. One such approach includes asking about the antecedent or what was happening around the person before the behavior occurred, followed by the behavior itself, and then the consequences of that behavior, including social rewards, avoidance of unpleasant situations, or feeling a sense of relief. Knowing the antecedents and consequences of a behavior can help you as the provider come up with a plan to help guide the family and patient towards understanding why a behavior is happening and ultimately how to move towards behavior change. Let's now focus on one particularly challenging behavior, tantrums. Understanding the science behind tantrums can inform how we discuss behavior management with families. A temper tantrum, and more broadly, behavior dysregulation, primarily involves two parts of the brain, the amygdala and the hypothalamus. The amygdala regulates emotions and behavior, plays a role in evaluating environmental stimuli to determine their importance, and contributes to the formation of particularly meaningful memories. The hypothalamus, on the other hand, is crucial in the maintenance of homeostasis, as well as fight-or-flight reactions, feeding, and sleep. When presented with a given conflict, the amygdala acts as the brain's smoke detector and the hypothalamus as someone deciding whether to put gasoline or water on the fire by way of hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. The actions of these hormones contributes to tachycardia, bronchodilation, and arousal, and also suppresses the function of the prefrontal cortex, a highly developed area of the brain essential to impulse control behavior regulation, and insight into one's own and others' reactions. With a bit of logical self-reflection, adults can hit the brakes on a stress response. A driver who cuts us off on the highway often will not bring us to irrational action because we can pause for a moment, decide not to react, and move forward with our day. However, the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until adulthood. Therefore, we must support parents in their efforts to calm their children with the knowledge in mind that children are working with different machinery altogether. Now, let's discuss a framework for managing behaviors that we can communicate to families. The framework of advice we can offer families involves three main steps, namely controlling their own emotions, managing the emotions of their children, and validating their children's feelings. First, parents must manage their own emotions. Parents can leave the room to take a few deep breaths or confide in a partner, whatever they need to de-escalate their own frustration. This intentionally allows parents to use their own calm state to calm their child. The efficacy of this technique may stem from mirror neurons, which fire in response to one's own and others' behaviors. 
When parents regulate their own emotions and dispositions, they can directly affect the manner in which their children respond to the same situation by watching their example. After regulating their own emotions, a parent must manage their child's reaction. To do this, caretakers can provide warm and empathetic cues with their body posture, tone of voice, facial expressions, and word choice to calm a child, which can quell the stress response experienced by the child and mitigate the effects on their actions. Crouching down and making eye contact with the children during a tantrum or behavioral outburst shows parents are listening and engaged. Parents can also encourage their child to self-soothe with other types of calming sensory inputs, such as breathing exercises and squeeze balls. It is important for parents to introduce these coping behaviors before a meltdown hits so that children can manage a tantrum on their own once it happens. There are some children for whom the simple coping skills we've mentioned might not be enough to support the family and patient in managing their perceived problematic behaviors, including some children who have developmental disabilities or diagnosed mood or attention disorders. In these cases, it is sometimes helpful to refer families to receive multidisciplinary support, including parent training, therapy, and consideration of pharmacotherapy in the case of diagnosed mood disorders, attention disorders, or PTSD. Finally, parents must validate their child's feelings. As much as parents might want to try explaining to their child why they should calm down, behavior correction rarely works when stress is high. Once a child's partially developed prefrontal cortex is back online, Parents can take the opportunity to help them form a story about the tantrum and validate how hard the moment was and repeating back what happened. Now that we have outlined the three basic steps to convey to parents, including regulating their own emotions, managing their child's emotions, and validating their child's feelings, let's discuss specific tips that you can offer families to prevent, limit, and de-escalate tantrums and other problematic behaviors. These tips can be broadly applicable to children of all ages. We recommend to parents that they take as many opportunities as possible to give attention to their child's good behaviors, in turn reinforcing the behaviors that they want their child to engage in. You might say, one way you can help shape your child's behavior is to catch them doing good often, and ideally much more frequently than you catch them doing bad. Your attention is a precious reward to your children, and by noticing your child engaging in desired behaviors, like politely greeting someone or sharing their emotions with words rather than violence, this acts as positive reinforcement for these behaviors. In your practice, model this for parents by providing genuine and specific praise for the children you care for when you notice them engaging in a desirable behavior. You could say, you did such a wonderful job sharing your crayons with your little sister. I can tell you really care for your family and want to help out mommy, which is really awesome. Good job. We can also offer parents tips for what to do when behavioral escalation is already occurring. Caretakers can give children control over little things by offering small, directed choices with options rather than yes-no questions. Provide a distraction. Move to a new room, offer a safer toy or game, play music or sing a song. Choose battles and accommodate when reasonable and safe. Know the child's limits in terms of accomplishing tasks. Sometimes we don't get to finish the to-do list. 
Engage in active ignoring of negative, attention-seeking behaviors. Ignoring requires consistency from all caregivers and depends upon all caregivers recognizing ahead of time behaviors may worsen in the short term in order to be successful. The key to ignoring is making sure to give children positive attention as soon as the bad behavior stops, like saying, you're quiet now, it looks like you're ready to play. Do not ignore behaviors like hitting, kicking, biting, or throwing. Have a zero-tolerance policy for these behaviors. Set children up for success. If tantrums or outbursts peak when the child is hungry, have a healthy snack available when leaving the house. If tantrums peak when the child is fatigued, prioritize sleep and nap time even if it causes activities to be missed. Take a break when needed. Take turns with another caregiver or friend when frustration escalates. Children often feel that they are the only ones who have to use your manners, share, and take turns. Therefore, when adults share, point it out to a child. For example, daddy is sharing his drink with mommy. Good job sharing, daddy. As stated in the three general steps, model ways to calm down. Teach children how to calm down when they are upset or frustrated and express actual feelings. For example, if frustrated about sitting in traffic, one might say, Mommy is really frustrated right now. Please help me calm down by taking 10 deep breaths with me. This practice teaches children to say what they feel instead of making critical or hurtful statements or engaging in physically dangerous behavior. As we come to the end of our video, let's recap what we've discussed. In summary, the best way to improve behavior is to give children more attention when they are doing something desired by caretakers and to remove attention when they are doing something caretakers do not want. Consistency from day to day is key in reducing the level of frequency of tantrums. Children's brains are still under development and effective behavior management requires persistence, teamwork, and patience from caregivers and pediatricians alike. As pediatricians, we can empower caretakers to manage tantrums and challenging behaviors in a healthy and effective way, not only to reduce their length and frequency, but also to promote mutual trust and respect for all members of the family. We hope this video has been useful to you in growing your capacity to counsel families dealing with challenging behaviors. As providers, we must be alert to behaviors outside the range of typical, requiring us to consider the presence of a neurodevelopmental disability or a mental health disorder. We must also monitor for and provide support for caretaker mental health concerns or family stressors, which can impact a child's behavior. If behaviors are particularly challenging to manage, providers can refer the family for consultation with a social worker, psychologist, or developmental and behavioral pediatrician to discuss behavior management strategies. By partnering with families and providing support, empathy, and practical advice, you can connect with caretakers and patients in a meaningful way and positively impact the future of children in your practice. Thank you for watching our video. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. We have more podcasts like this one available everywhere you get your podcasts. Visit openpediatrics.org for more information.